Oh, this broadcast is intended for I don't really consider it mature viewers? I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I would say that we're mature on here. Uh, I'm indoors because it's uh, annoyingly rainy out today. It's raining all over the place. Can't go back to the bunker. Even though it's still unseasonably warm have not yet been able to uh, set foot outside it's quite a dismal day indeed oh god damn it are people asking about mic volume I'm gonna hold on one second I'm gonna hold on one second let me hear it again I'm gonna hold on one second let me hear it again I literally am listening to it on twitch and it sounds fine I just listened to it coming through my own speakers. At a certain point, I'm just going to have to privilege my own perception over whatever the robots and potential agents provocateur in this goddamn uh, stream are telling me to do. I gotta say, that, that, the fact that it sounds crystal clear coming out of the fucking Twitch channel as I'm watching it makes me wonder... If you people aren't fucking with me, you uh, are uh, in possession of very shitty fucking uh, audio equipment. And as Robert Downey Sr. said in uh, Boogie Nights, that is a YP. That's not an MP. How's everybody doing tonight? I don't really have anything. I'm, uh, I'm kind of cashed out actually. Might not do one tomorrow if it feels if I'm not getting if I don't if I don't get a little frisian. But that's often happened. I've come on the stream having no idea what to talk about and then up being like, "Holy shit, where'd that come from?" So we'll see. We're gonna take the journey together. Uh, congratulations, by the way, to President Trump for four more years. The uh, the electoral college has voted and uh, he has enough electoral votes when uh, when Vice President Pence presides over the certification that uh, he will be president uh, several several very well known and, 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 and trustworthy websites uh, and Twitter accounts have said this and I have no reason to disbelieve it so man if they did that it would be the funniest thing in the world I mean, and the funniest thing about it would be that all of the liberals right now, including myself, broadly defined, who are smugly watching this flailing, like, pathetic non-coup happen, if they just said, oh, uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're not going to certify these votes, we're going to vote, give it to Trump. And even though it violates the Constitution and the letter and spirit of all law, nobody stops them. None of the people... Uh, who would be shocked by it, would be able to do anything about it. 
Like, that's the truth of it. And I think that's why they feel so insistent on making you be mad. They they realize that, oh, like, their chess... They imagine themselves part of a grand chess game of American progressivism, stretching back to, I don't know, uh, Wilson, something like that, where they are battling, like, the behemoth uh, of America's bestial, uh, like, populist heart that, you know, they used to think was just dumb, uh, but now think is racist. Uh because like the changing uh, intellectual composition of, of, of uh, liberals and elite liberals who populate elite liberal institutions. They've been in a chess game with reaction since, since, since the progressive movement began. And they have found themselves, and I think they realized that after this election, and they realized that after watching all the norms just get blown away by Trump, and now a situation where they all realize, oh, our 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 formal uh, uh, barriers against just a pure reactionary grasp for power are non-existent. They do not exist. Well, that means you've lost the game. That means you have been checkmated. You cannot do any move other than slit your own throat. If you're if you consider yourself pro- part of the liberal project broadly construed. And all these people do. Like, the way they talk about politics, even if they're just regular people, they talk about the Democratic Party like they're part of it. Like, the way Democrats, but voters, not even people at, like, the media level, talk about the Democratic Party as if they're part of a project, which is, of course, not the case. They're along for the ride. To one degree or another, they're along for the ride. So they've lost. They've lost. Because... They know in their heart, oh, if we ever did try to get the kind of change that I keep insisting I want to see happen, the kind of change on something like climate change or even some more emotionally, uh, like, uh, emotionally, uh, you know, uh, compelling uh, uh, issue like racism or gun control, we're not going to get there without them just taking power because we now know they could if they wanted to. You've lost. And because you're a liberal, you have discounted anything other than politics as you understand it to be the, the way that we can, you know, battle reaction, the, the, the dark heart of America's, you know, white maleness. You have discounted activism of any meaningful sign. You've discounted the labor movement as just another interest group. That's what the, that's what the new left in the 60s and the... Uh, and uh, and the emergent like Atari Democrats agreed on, uh, which was the consensus left position in, in amongst this new like post '60s uh, collegiate liberal and left milieu, uh, was that the unions are just another interest group, if not an upholder of racism and patriarchy, and they've stuck. They've stood fast with that 40 years later, and now they have no interest in, in using labor as a uh, mobilizing tool against reaction. They have no interest in doing anything other than voting for Democrats, but they know now in their hearts that voting for Democrats will never get them. So what they want now is they want to do the only thing that they think can work, and that is because they are media creatures one way or another, and they've decided in their hearts that, that activism consists of yelling at people until they do what you told them to do, 
that all they can do is insist as loudly as possible that this is something you should care about. So that will just transubstantiate people into, like, transubstantiate regular Democrats into donors. And, you know, uh, 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 on the fence, like, liberals into committed Democrats. And, and people who don't vote but are part of a, a, a oppressed minority that should instinctively prefer, uh, vote for Democrats will be snapped into consciousness. They will be face-shifted into a consciousness as like a self-conscious democratic voter. And then they will win because they'll just, it'll be, they'll, they will have too many votes. There will be too many places to steal it from and they'll have to give power. And the only way that can come about is by yelling, by getting people, by, by presenting yourself emotionally. Now that's one part of it. There's another more important part for anybody who's at the top of this media totem pole, or rather even in the middle. If you're getting money from the, the political media as we understand it, your calculus is different. It's more self-consciously self-interested and less like psychological coping mechanism. Here, at that level, you can't just say, write an article or do a tweet or do an appearance on television and say, uh, uh, this fake coup, this, the, the continuance of this, of the Republicans to go along with all of these things up to and including, you know, the Texas lawsuit and a over a hundred House Republicans signing on to it. Uh, that means that they will not accept another election that they lose if it's anything, if it's any closer than this. You, anyone can say that. That doesn't, that doesn't position you that uh, doesn't make you stand out. It doesn't provide value add as a part of the media hierarchy, even if you're just trying to be a commentator from the bottom up. What, uh, what provides value add is the follow-up, which is, and I can't believe we're, we're not acting like this is a big deal. That is the move where you distinguish yourself, where you take something that's banal and you say, I am different from those others because I care about it more. People act like Bob Barr resigning is a big deal. He'd be gone in the middle of January anyway. What the, what? Oh yeah, uh, on the other side of the deluded fence, apparently the Chinese uh, army was just uh, attacked uh, with a with an uh, air bombardment while trying to invade Maine from Canada. So everybody's living in their own fantasy world. Us too. And uh, it's all about which one is, is, is more pleasing to you. I think this is a pretty good one. I feel like the vibe here is better. I feel like this, that it's less anxious. That's the thing I notice on all spectrums of people trying to pretend that their political participation means something. The thing that unites them is the anxiety. Anxiety about, and I felt this anxiety for a long time, especially as we got closer to, like, the the uh, uh, to the inflection point of the of the Bernie campaign in 2020, early good lord, still this year, uh, was oh god, like am I wrong? What if I'm wrong? And that's bad. You don't want to be wrong for a bunch of reasons, but you also want to make sure that people think that there's a reason it matters if you're right or wrong. And the thing that makes it matter is supposed to be 
you listen to this and then you do something or you act a certain way or you think a thing that makes you behave a way. And if you need to sustain that, I think it, it, it takes an emotional toll and it was one that I couldn't handle anymore. And that's why I kind of had to, I was forced to reassess and break my relationship from this, uh, this machinery. And also there's the idea that, you know, look at me, I care more about this coup. And also uh, that means that if you cared more, then we would stop it. And it's going to be institutional uh, resistance that changes the calculus of capital or the Republican Party within it. It's not going to be, it's not going to be us participating at the level of electoral ritual, which is where we're happy, where we're comfortable. It's not going to do it. They will cancel an election if it's close enough or if they feel like the risk of losing power is great enough, like real power. Like the Republicans willing to cut bait on Trump to the, uh, to the exact degree that they don't get, is their base voters mad at? That's the calculus. I have total interest in seeing Trump lose at this, get out of here at this point. I have nothing to gain. We have nothing to gain as a party by him clinging to power or trying to uh, resist uh, a peaceful transition. But we have these voters who love him and we can't fucking tell them the truth because they don't think there's a project beyond Trump because they're dumb pigs. And the one thing that distinguishes us from them is that the highest level, although this is less and less true even within the ranks of government, because... You know, I think I think something like two thirds of Republicans uh, have either lost election, primary, or retired since Trump won. Like they turned over almost the entire Congress, and that change was to put true believers there, or people, either people who were cynically close enough to the grassroots to just mirror it for their own benefit, or they believed it themselves. But at the very high levels, like the Supreme Court, they're not there yet. They have a greater fucking investment than Trump as a person. But they don't want to get people to mad at him, which is why judges have been the ones who are happy to do the dirty work that the Republican Party people can't do, the electeds can't do. They can't say, move on, because they will get primaried, just as surely as if they voted to impeach him. Uh, we talked a little bit on the show today about the whole thing about AOC and uh, and the healthcare vote, and I would I will say this. I said some more on the show, but to sum it up, the question about AOC and a vote in Congress for Medicare for All versus uh, uh, whether or not to tie that to a, a vote for Pelosi as Speaker, this is the this is the narrative media equivalent. This conversation we're having. Everyone talking about it, it is sports talk radio. It is the exact same thing as calling into Mike and the Mad Dog to jawbone about whether the Giants should draft a running back or a, a, a wide receiver. It, that is what its function is. It is, it is, it is off-season talk. It's off-season sports radio. Because we have no influence on these people whatsoever. 
There is no practical question. It is purely a moral question. Even if you, all, you agree with, with the argument that AOC needs to do this to, to draw on the sand or else she is, is fatally compromised, what are you going to do about it? You going to call her office? What does she care? In, 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 pre, in real terms, she is only even hypothetically uh, answerable to her constituents in her district. And the greater progressive movement, they have no, there's, first of all, there is none. And because there's none, there is no pressure they could put on her. So the question is purely a question of like her, her worth as an individual. And that's meaningless. It means nothing. She is a tool. And it's a question of who's going to wield her. We, the left, which doesn't exist because it, it the left doesn't exist. How could it wield a tool? How could the left be a hand to hold a tool if there's no body and no hand? So that's that. You can, like I said, there should be sport uh, political conversation that's like sports conversation. It's, it's entertainment. It's talking about the weather with friends. It's a thing to talk about. But that's all it is. It's just a thing to talk about. And if it's a thing to talk about, I find it's not very interesting. So it solves itself. The question of like what it is, I've lost interest already. The only way you can convince yourself that it's a meaningful discussion to have is if you think it has actual meaning beyond idle speculation about what the front office is going to do about uh, the fucking quarterback position. Oh man, Biden on that conference call was great. It's perfect. He just wants them to give him a little gratitude for saving their asses because in his mind, he's the only person who could have won. In the mind that such an exists, the mind that Trump Biden has and that all upper crust Democrats have and filtering down into the even into the party faithful, they believe that this election proves has proven beyond a shout that this is a Trump country. That the average American out there in the hinterlands, away from us in our cozy coasts and college towns, is a savage, is an unresolvable, unreasonable, baying jackal of reaction. Uh, a, a fucking cart, like from a World War I propaganda uh, poster about, like, the Hun as a, as a barbarian with a pickle hub holding a Belgian virgin in his hands and in that world in that america the only thing that can win is somebody who appeals to the least savage of the savages and that was and that was biden and his whole lincoln campaign approach which hilariously was the same thing hillary did and lost indicating to these people they didn't do it enough and the thing about that is it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. I mean, I think it's pretty obviously wrong. 
uh, and I, I could I could collect sheaves of documents about voter behavior and turnout and demographics proving that that's not the case and also like make a broader a philosophical question about like the 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 distorting and pauperizing social effect of 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 uh, ele the American electoral system and American politics and how it how it, it turns us into like the shadow that we create in our electoral uh, uh, systems are the worst of ourselves uh, and that it's a terrible measure of like America's potential as a political body and that we should engage it on those terms. It doesn't matter if they're right or wrong. The funding model and the organizational structure and the personnel of the Democratic Party means that they have to run the campaign they ran against Trump. When he went economic populist, even though he didn't mean it, obviously he didn't mean it, as soon as he put down the gauntlet that he was going to be economically heterodox, the Democrats were pinned. They could not go to his left economically because they cannot raise the hopes of their voters. So they had to run against Trump as an, an aberration, as this monstrosity that is our worst selves and that we're all better than, including Republicans. And it didn't work. But nothing changed in the intervening four years about the Democratic Party's funding model, organizational structure, and personnel to force it to change its calculus. So it had to run the play again. And now... We have another outlook. The, he, the, uh, the president, oh, President uh, Bumblefuck, killing a half a on his way to killing a half a million people while farting on live TV six nights a week for four years, uh, is barely defeated in even the fucking popular vote, uh, and and sees negative coat and you see negative coattails almost, no negative coattails in uh, in the House and Senate. Just, but to them. They will say this proves that the country is even more reactionary, which means that Biden is going to have to go even further to the right as a governor than he had. It's the it's the one way crank that gets you that gets you uh, eventually like the 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 Goddardamerung that we're all uh, imagining of like the the Trumpist Republican Party seizing power unilaterally. And yeah, like that's an uninterrupted road to that if economic conditions deteriorate enough. It's a one-way ratchet, and so the whole, and so this is why you know the 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 the, the political uh, media sphere is so often detached from real questions, is because you can so easily get caught up in refuting the model, refuting the Democrats by their logic of we're trying to win elections, we're trying to gain power, we're trying to push through progressive legislation. That's immaterial to the actual question of why they do it and if they're going to keep being able to do it. That is determined by the array of forces and powers materially that undergird the Democratic Party. And nothing about the discussion, nothing about the argument, and no correct case to be made that, like, even in public uh, opinion changes the way people view it is going to change that basic dynamic.
Yeah, no, uh, no, from not for me, not for me. These conversations anymore. How do we push President Xi to the left? There's the real question. How do we push General President Xi to the left? I mean, I know there are efforts. I know there are like communizing efforts in China. Uh, in fact, uh, it's, there's a pretty funny phenomenon now in China where college kids go through the uh, university indoctrination system and learn about Marx as you know you do in Chinese colleges and then come out and say oh uh wow all these working class workers sure could use some representation in government <laughs> and then they get arrested they say no 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 not like that Will I go on Iglesias' podcast? Oh, God, no. That sounds like, oh. My stomach hurts even thinking about that. I don't think he would want me on either. I think he gets, I think he does, I think he hates me. Which is nice, because I think most of those people don't know who I am, or pretend not to care. I know that he, I know that he is a, uh, he is aware of uh, online uh, critics and is incredibly outraged by them. Because he's got the Obama brain, whereby he is fully confident that he has done the math on every question that matters and that he got the right answer. And so anybody who disagrees with him and consistently is, at the end of the day, um, uh, being presumptuous. They're presuming to know something or understand something that he doesn't, which cannot be done. That is the Iglesias, like, liberal Obama, uh, neolib brain. Emmanuel Macron is another guy like that. Um, Emmanuel Macron, by the way, who is the one neoliberal uh, leader who seems to grasp fundamentally that there is a irreconcilable conflict between democracy and like the liberal project the neoliberal project whatever you want to call it and he uh has said yes there is so we got to get rid of the democracy not all at once because people are used to it but it's got to go like even the vestiges of it have to be tamed and of course he's the one who gets that because france is one of the western countries where like working class institutional power is most resilient where uh where uh, coordinated uh demonstrations and 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 meaningful conflict with the state from the grassroots level is continuous and effective where there the worst of neoliberalism has been avoided of course they're still on the same trajectory of us as we are but it's from a higher point and it's going slow more slowly 
simply because there is more resistance to it as it's implemented. Unlike the Brits and the Americans, where we are just completely whipped dogs, and we have accepted neoliberalism completely. And I will say the reason why they had a fucking they had a real revolution. You want to really boil it down to it, like at a political level. Obviously, there's material reasons that undergird that even. But the answer to the same, the, the, the political like differentiation is that they have an actual revolutionary tradition. By which I mean an idea of rebellion against government, a rebellion against oppression that that does not erroneously identify government as the only vector of oppression, and that has a social conception of freedom and liberty that go beyond individual market participation. And uh, and so they've got a guy now who recognizes like, okay, this is this has got to go. In I think countries like uh, like. Our guys, I think they still believe that shit, even in their hearts, because they can afford to, because we're, we're not really putting up a fight. People are arguing about the merits of Paris in the, in the commentary. Well, ooh la la, a bunch of, bunch of gentlemen and ladies curtsing about, oh, it's a Sunday in the park. On Le Grand Jet over here. Somebody says the Whiskey Rebellion. I mean, how is that even remembered? As a fucking tax revolt. As a revolt against government. And a revolt against not exploitation, not like uh, exploitation of labor, or even like manipulation of uh, of like a market by like a monopoly uh uh, purchaser, but tax, but but government taxation, because we never formed up uh, a a a a a uh, citizenry, the way that the way that uh, at least Paris, in its, uh, was able to, because before even there was like fully full capitalism in in France, there was. Uh, this proletarianism of artisanship. Because Paris was filled with artisans, but they were fucking starving. And that was not generally common in the early modern city. We never had that. We had small cities... Because you could get land anywhere. The land wasn't a patchwork of latifundia by fucking syphilitic dukes who controlled it all and, 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 and treated them like internal monopoly markets and had like fucking tariff lines everywhere you got, went. There was land for the taking and we took it. And so that understanding of there being a, like a social reciprocal relationship that it was a fund, under, fundamental undergirding of even any individual right was absent. Our conception of rights and liberties were denatured, were, were, were isolated, were atomized because of free real estate.
somebody asked guilty pleasures. I try not to have guilty pleasures anymore. I've tried to the, the guilty ple you the concept of guilty pleasure emerged as a way to give people who otherwise were only consuming middle brow dreck a sense that they had like higher artistic uh, as uh, uh, aspirations. Because like how many people talk about guilty pleasures who like would unironically talk about how moving like uh, Avengers Endgame or Black Panther was. You know, like by any meaningful metric, Black Panther or the Marvel movies in general would be a fucking guilty pleasure. You'd feel guilty about it if the way they talk about art was valid, which I don't think it is. They created the category of guilty pleasure, like awful reality shows that are even more like witless and uh, and and less creative than big budget uh, blockbusters, and then say they feel, oh, that's I'm guilty about that to to essentially to elevate the crap that they take for real art. If you're consuming real art, if you're consuming, and when I say real, I don't mean like I'm not saying there's an objective criteria for that. I mean soul nourishing art, soul nourishing art. If you're consuming that, then you don't have this anxiety about dividing uh, the good from the bad because you're not feeling the lack, and that's the thing that unifies the entire broad middle populist brow of people who've decided that. Actually, everything you need to know about the world, everything, you, every emotional uh, experience you need to have, every like intellectual idea, every cathartic uh, uh, bringing together of like image and sound and and uh, and uh, perspective into like a, a, a to, to, as a little prism to view through the to, to view another person's view of the world through. Like if you see art as that, like somebody creating a perfect lens of observation and craft and poetry to have you look through. And then the experience of art is just, just seeing through it. And the clearer it is, the more beautiful it is and the more you feel that. If you feel a communion of spirits at some level, you feel something that is ineffable in your experience of it. And these people, the lotus eaters of the Poptimist mainstream, I swear to God, they don't feel that. But what they do is they feel the lack of it and then they go out and seek to insist that it doesn't exist, that they're not missing anything. Everybody who says there's anything more to art is lying to them to sound smart and fancy. That is the go-to argument of anyone who, who uh, brings down the wrath, who, who, is, who is outraged by, by, uh, by large-scale uh, monocultural entertainment being besmirched, is to say, you don't really like that stuff. You don't really read those books. You don't really listen to that music. You're you don't you're lying. You just want to sound because why would you do that? It's not fun. Well, because it doesn't. It's because fun isn't the only fucking metric. There's other things to art. No, there isn't. Because if there was, they'd be missing something, and they can't even imagine that because they're so fully bought into the capitalist realist world, the and and have so conditioned their um, coping mechanisms to be around that sense of identity and purpose and, and intellectual challenge. It's essentially cultural gaming. And so they have to create this guilty pleasure. 
But if you want to say things that are objectively bad, that I can't, like, argue are good, that I still enjoy, I guess that's more it. Like, objective isn't a thing, but things that I couldn't make a plausible case even to myself are good, but I still like. That's a different thing. Yeah, see, I guess SNL would, of course, work. But, yeah, I never, I can't feel guilty for watching SNL. People are yelling about the raw meat. Yeah, it's called a cannibal sandwich. It's not even all in Wisconsin, by the way. It's only around Milwaukee. In fact, I was a little north. Like, other people who grew up near where I grew up probably didn't never heard of it. But, like, I distinctly remember having a Christmas in Sheboygan, which is, like, about uh, 30 to 45 minutes, about 30 minutes north of Milwaukee, right along the, the uh, uh, Lake Michigan. So, like, 30 minutes up the Lake Michigan shore from Milwaukee County is Sheboygan. And I remember having a Sheboygan Christmas where there was, set on a little table next to the venison uh, uh, and, the, the like, the cheese curds and shit and uh, the cocktail sauce were a bunch of uh, little, those little rye cocktail end pieces uh, and then a bowl of ground chuck, raw ground chuck, that was then you'd take a, a butter knife and you put it on and then you put on salt and pepper and raw onion and they call it a cannibal sandwich and it is a leftover it's a remaining cultural food way of uh the germans who who made up like the first large Euro scale european uh settling in uh Wisconsin. Wisconsin was founded by uh, by Yankee Congregationalists. Both Michigan, uh, Western New York, uh, the upper uh, the Case Western the Case the Western Reserve in Ohio, Michigan, uh, and uh, Wisconsin were 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 just, were originally settled as like uh, American uh, territories by emigrants from uh, New England. So like the the children of the children of the Puritans. The, the, who ended up being like the the the, uh, the social base for the Republican Party, basically, and the Whigs before that, uh, settled it. But then the first uh, large-scale uh, immigration to fill the, the cities, like Milwaukee, was from Germany, specifically Catholic Southern Germany. Uh, the beer-drinking, uh, Stein-wielding party Germans, not the dour, uh, 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 militarist, austere Prussians. Uh, the party Germans. And the, one of the great traditions in party Germany is ground pork, raw ground pork, or uh, beef. And actually in, uh, it's apparently a buffet food in Germany to this day, and they shape it like a hedgehog. And they put little, uh, they make it look, look like a little hedgehog, and then they put little slices of onion in the back to be like uh, the quills. It's very 70s. Even before it's, uh, and it still exists a little bit in Wisconsin. Like, I, I had it when I was a kid, but it wasn't something that stuck around. Like, the, we, it's not like my family's been doing this recently. Uh, and the reason people are hearing about this and freaking out about it is because Wisconsin asked people, because of the danger of the raw meat, please do not eat it. And there were these people who, of course, were all supposed to laugh at, saying, fuck you, I eat this every year, uh, take it from a gold dead hand. People are like, are you, are these guys, uh, what's wrong with them? It is an actual Wisconsin food way. It's not something that's terribly dangerous uh, if the meat is fresh 
and certainly if the fret if the meat comes from one cow and this is where things get like this is where you can see like how how our folkways are so constrained in like and our and our freedoms like these guys our freedoms are constrained by things that we don't recognize as such like so these guys who are responding in the facebook comments saying fuck you uh, they're probably mad at the state for being nannies and telling them don't eat raw meat. But the thing is, is if you do go to Piggly Wiggly or IGA and buy a ground a pound of ground chuck and just spread it on bread, you'll probably shit your fucking guts out. It's a bad idea. Don't do that. But the thing is, traditionally, that's not what people did. You would go to your local butcher. And you would get a fresh ground meat, and then you would eat that. But the thing is, over the last 40, 50 years, all those local butchers have been driven out of business. And the only place you can get ground chuck is to go to the IGA or the Piggly Wiggly. And so, fewer and fewer people eat it. Like I said, the last time I ate it, I was like eight. Because most people, even if they like it, they're not going to fucking roll the dice going to fucking... Uh, grocery store they know it's bad they've gone to school they know what raw raw food does it's only going to be like the stubborn holdouts at this point i i doubt more than a handful of people still eat those things and what some of them that do probably are psychos who say fuck it and go to kroger but if they but the thing that constrained them is not the nanny state the thing that constrained their ability to get to, because you shouldn't be able to you should probably not get raw meat and then eat it like that from the grocery store and maybe like the state should be involved in preventing that from happening but that's not why people can't do it they can't do it because uh, they can't do it safely they cannot do it safely. And so you have to decide, oh, that's a thing we used to do and we used to like and we can't do it anymore. And maybe somehow your brain vaguely thinks, oh, I bet it was lawsuits or something. No, it was the consolidation of fucking capital. And people say it's like steak tartare, but no, it isn't. Steak tartare is a minced up steak and there's an egg on it and I, I think uh, like mustard or stuff and that does like acid, I mean, uh, acid cooking. The cannibal sandwich is just ground beef. But like I said, you could get it from a butcher, fresh ground. That's not that dangerous. It's... Uh, also, um, apparently Lebanon... They eat raw beef to raw, raw ground beef or raw, raw lamb. And yes, 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 yes. Eating meat is indeed monstrous. It is a regime of terror and blood and horror. And participating in it at any level makes you a moral monster. And if we do survive as a species, I hope everyone is prepared for, like, if we do get some sort of uh, space communist future, we will be viewed as monsters for what we have done to animals. Uh, but God damn it, it's so good. It's so good, and all those questions recede in the face of a, of a, of a juicy steak or a nice pile of ground 
raw beef. I will say though that the uh, the fake meat industry is coming along. Uh, I know it's uh, soy based and uh, and not based to uh, want that, but I'm much looking forward to that McDonald's McPlant because sometimes I want to eat the McDonald's flavor, and I would love to do it without knowing that it involved some sort of fucking hostile style monstrous assault on uh, all that's holy. But of course, I think like they destroy half a. Like, they destroy, every every Beyond Burger you eat, like, destroyed a football field's worth of uh, palm trees in Banda Aceh or something. McDonald's fries do not have powdered beef fat in them. They used to, though. They used to have... Like some sort of tallow uh, extract on them. And people do say that they were way better back then. And you know what? I bet they were. I bet they were. I sadly don't remember them when they still had the beef on them, though. The fact is, industrial agricultural production, as we understand it, for profit, just cannot sustain itself. I mean, from a moral perspective, but also just ecologically. I mean, we're creating monocultural crops that are begging to be wiped out by some uh, sort by by disease, and we're you know destroying the environment wherever we do large-scale agriculture, destroying the water tables. It can't work. But you know, you can't do craft farming either. You can't. That's not going to sustain a population. You need to do is what you need to do in every one of these industries. You need to take all of the mechanical and scientific developments that we have done in agricultural production and then apply it to the question of use and the question of sustenance and not the question of profit. Man, that'll do so much. It really would. It would do a lot. It would do a lot. It wouldn't solve everything and it wouldn't make everything perfect, but my God, it, it would. it would... It would make a lot of the things that seem uh, uh, unscalably horrific in, in their criminality and also in their uh, unsustainability more manageable. The United States wastes half the food that it produces. That's not a that's not an exaggeration. And of course, you could say, well, you know, that's it's always tough to anticipate. But I mean, that boils down to the fact that we have a uh, that we have a food uh, economy that is entirely built around profit, and specifically built around profit in a. Uh, like competitive market where choice and variety are the only things that matter and the only things that confer the ability to find points of like uh, leverage to extract profit what people want, like the way that McDonald's the McRib is back because uh, pork uh, prices went down I believe because of the trade war with China the McRib is back because 
the U.S., uh, because China banned imports of American pork uh, as part as like a tit-for-tat thing for uh, Trump's uh, tariffs on Chinese goods. And it led to a big glut in pork bellies, and pork belly futures dropped. And when that happens, McDonald's buys a shit ton of pork bellies. So that's why we have the McBrit back after over, a, what, a decade? Like an economy where that can happen, you have to have a lot of food just waiting to get destroyed. And not distributed because that would reduce the pro- the, the market price of the of the of the rest of it. That's why they won't let they uh, rest supermarkets have to fucking destroy food that they don't sell. It's monstrous. It's a regime of monstrous waste, and it is to me the fundamental rejoinder to any idiotic argument that capitalism is in any way efficient, an efficient allocation of resources. It would be funny though if we uh, if we basically like de-technologized agriculture, like had just had more people farm, like to give them something to do. I think a lot of people kind of send them down to the countryside, you know, kind of I don't know, like a some sort of rebellion in the in the superstructure. What do you call that? A cultural revolution? No, never mind. Empty the suburbs I can get behind. I don't know how what the what like the balance of rural and urban uh, life should be. That's way beyond my pay grade. I've heard, I've read arguments in both directions. The need for like labor intensive local agriculture and you know intensification of uh, infrastructure in in countryside and and then arguments for no no you know and uh, uh, encourage minimal minimal uh, human footprint outside of urban areas and and create like dense density. Uh, Heard arguments for both, uh, probably somewhere in the middle, all of it above my pay grade. Not my question, not my circus, not my monkeys, because I sure as shit am never going to see a society where I have to ask, uh, answer that question. It is certainly my duty to try to get us to a point where these questions mean something, but they're not there yet. But I do wish I knew more, I do wish I could farm, I'll say that. I wish I could, I wish I could farm. Isn't the Great Reset, once again, isn't the Great Reset just capitalism? I, I never understand what this, especially, it's, it's very frustrating to see on the right, with the Q2, all of these big, large-scale, like, New World Order things, it's just, oh, what? They're going to, a lot of people are going to die so the capitalism can maintain itself? Like, they're going to keep 
like every crisis of capitalism is going to just be met with more quantitative easing at the top and more like liquid money being pooled into the hands of the wealthy and just continue like a dynamo of, of consumption at the very top of the the world uh, consumption order that just like sucks everything out out of the world literally like a giant straw until uh, the ability of the earth to like uh, actually hold uh, maintain human life starts being compromised and people start dying en masse and, and the political structure uh, uh, eliminates points of dissent so that it can more effectively uh, carry out a regime of, uh, of uh, border enforcement and technological surveillance. Am I saying anything that isn't just the trajectory of us? What is, what is the thing that's supposed to be special about this? Once again, it's like we see it in front of us. We see the, the creature, the monster operating in plain sight. There's no man behind the curtain. It's just, it is. It's in front of the curtain. But it's too big to take in, so we, vet, we create a mini version of it, a story time, fun time version of it, to, to invest with meaning because it's easier to understand. So I don't even know what I'm supposed... What are the main points about it? They're going to sterilize everybody? We're being sterilized already! Do you guys know what, uh, what fucking plastics are doing to our endocrine systems? You know, like, I mean, obviously, you don't want to turn into a, a red pill psycho talking about, like, male, male virility, but sperm counts in the world are collapsing. I don't know if you're aware of this. And not just in the West. It's not just because, oh, yeah, you're all living next to, uh, you know, you're living in between the plastic... The you know you're eating McDonald's and and uh, just eating no in, in the least developed parts of the world too is because plastic is becoming complete it's becoming constitutive of the human fucking body and it's disrupting your your endocrine system and ability to fucking reproduce we're literally already being children of men sterilized what what else do you need what else so what what what's special about the fucking great reset thing about it what's the difference. Because whether the broad thing is real or this specific version of it, the fantasy version of it is real, this, the challenge is the same. And the enemies are the same, or should be. I mean, if it's about how like they're betting on what? It's like the people in power are making money off of the crisis? And that, in fact, they're, the way they're responding to the crisis is designed to make them more money? It's about market share. What you mean? These people are gonna, are gonna uh, that that the continued accumulation of capital is going to monopolize. What? And like Amazon's gonna be the only company within the, the generation. What? I mean, they don't even have to. They don't even have to uh, sterilize or kill the unproductive and the unnecessary people. They just have to fucking put up a border because they're mostly sorted by geography. 
I guess like the thing that's most risible about all this need for it to be like about to be eliminated is that I'm sorry if you're talking about the great great reset, you're not one of the people that they want to reset. You're one of the fucking people that they still need to move numbers around on a fucking ledger and keep the 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 flow of capital going. The people who are going to get reset are nowhere near you, and they're going to be kept that way with machinery of, of surveillance and, uh, and, and violence. They're putting chemicals in the water to make the frogs gay. Once again, yeah, they are. But not to make them gay. That doesn't kill them. There's been, I mean, not gay, but like, there's been like gender mutations in frogs thanks to exposure to uh, atrazine, I believe it is. How many fraud genders are there to quote uh, to quote Joe Biden at least three it would be funny if Trump tries to, now that Barr is resigning I guess it'd be really funny if he tried to just appoint Sheriff Clark or something and just have them try to do a like order the FBI to arrest Congress or something I don't think they would do it, but it'd be funny. Hell yeah, make Clay J. Higgins Attorney General. Yeah, right there, Gordy, we're going to do it. We're going to do that cool. We're going to take back America. We're going to arrest that electron college. going to put it in that goon college. Yep. We're going to get that electron college. We're going to get that good electron college in there.
Avatar, by the way, was not a bit. People are now saying that uh, that we're doing it as a bit. No, we do think Avatar is great. And everything you say about how it's bad, it's like, yeah, that's true too. But it's a gestalt. Movies are a gestalt. Like the overall thing, when I think about the movie and I watch it, I enjoy it. Not ironically, because I appreciate what went into it. And you can like that. You can do it. You can like a movie that's cringy. You can like a movie that has like identifiably stock or uninspiring or or uh, or cliche elements. You can like that. You're not being tricked into liking something necessarily. And I understand why people's backs are up because so much of uh, like blockbuster cynicism is about tricking you with that shit, but. Sometimes you got to accept some of it. At a, at a large enough scale of spectacle, you've got to ex- accept uh, a, a certain skeleton, a, a certain degree of, of stock elements, because it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be sustainable at that size without that, without that many viewers, without that broad of an audience expectation. Yeah, it's not a guilty pleasure. Uh, oh man, Dune is going to bite, especially on TV now. I wasn't too excited about it either way. I really don't like that Villanueva look at this point of the future. It's like, okay, it's, uh, yeah. Everything's all, like, dull and colorless. It, it seems like it's very Nolan-esque in its blinkered understanding of, like, the possibilities, the aesthetic possibilities of life. Alright guys, I'm going to sign off here. Manx for the memories.